Welcome to the New Life Millbrook Weekly Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about this podcast or other resources, please visit nlmillbrook.com. But anyway, we've been having a, a good time in the, in the services the last several weeks. I've enjoyed uh, hearing pre- preaching on the creation and then last week on the creature being man. And this week I'm to minister on the covenant. That's what he said. We'll see about that. But, uh, no, you know, even uh, I I know where he's going. We're moving into the Easter season. So he's talking about creation, the creature, and the covenant. And how many of you realize just on creation alone, you can make a series and go half a year? So you can just skim the top of it, basically. And and talking about uh, the creation being man, I mean, I mean, even David said, what is man thou mindful of him? I mean, that, that, that you could go, well, a whole lifetime hearing about why God created man and man's response and how he's supposed to respond and so forth. And the same is true about covenant. There's lots of things in, in, in the word about the covenant. Matter of fact, there's nine different covenants that God had made. And uh, we'll look at maybe one or two of them today, but we'll go into that. But I heard something this past week, or actually I read something this past week, and I thought, wow, what a lie. How many of you are interested in that? <laughs> and that was this statement. It says, ignorance is bliss. And I looked at that, and I said, ignorance is bliss. And I thought, that's a false statement. Yeah. No, ignorance is not bliss. Matter of fact, ignorance is a disaster. And when it comes to God's Word, it's a tragedy. Ignorance is not happiness. Not knowing something does not make you happy. It doesn't make you feel better or whatever. Matter of fact, you just set yourself up for a fall. And the word ignorance in the scriptures, though, is is a Hebrew word uh, or Greek word in the New Testament. It's agnoio, which means not to know. Can you imagine that? Not to know through lack of information. Now, we're living in a day today, uh, an information age, where people have cell phones, usually attached to their hip or in their pocket or in their purse or whatever they're carrying around. And on that cell phone, that little device there, you can gather or, or gain or pull up or whatever information that no other generation has ever been able to do. All the information that's in the world, matter of fact. You can pull up a document from... the that was written in 1812. You know, you could pull up the, the, what the GDP is of a country. You can, any information that is out there is available to your telephone. Isn't that amazing? And we sit around and watch TikTok videos. Think on that one just a little bit. Play solitary with your phone. All the information that we'd ever want to know, everything about, you know, the all, all different types of translations of Bibles, and all, it's right there. And what do we do with this piece of equipment there that can bring you any information that you want to know? Think about it. What do you do with it? Last night we were at the restaurant. We were watching a basketball game with it. Yeah, we really got a lot out of that. But, you know, Arkansas pulled through. They won. But the... Uh, the Bible says that, that this word, this agnigo, this, this ignorance, is a lack of information, and it doesn't stop there. 
It also goes on to say, by implication, to ignore. To ignore. Which tells me that it says to ignore through reluctance or unwillingness. Think about that for a little bit. Either you, you know it's true, you know the knowledge, but you're reluctant to do anything about it. You're unwilling to make a change. So you are not ignorant of it in the sense that you don't know that it's there. You just ignore what you do know. Isn't that something? So it's not just about knowing all the things of God. What do you know that you are ignoring? You didn't take it to heart. You're not doing anything with it. And that's what it means. You know, in Isaiah chapter 1, verse 3, it says this. It says, The ox knoweth his owner, and the ass his master's crib. But Israel doth not know. My people doth not consider. Now, that's pretty straightforward, isn't it? Seems like Isaiah, he didn't beat around the bush about telling how he felt. Or, I, or maybe I should say, God didn't, he wasn't playing. He said, this is the way it is. And the Amplified says it this way. The ox instinctively knows his owner. And the donkey his master's crib. But Israel does not know or recognize me as Lord. My people don't consider. They don't even consider me as being Lord of their life. They don't look at it. They just say it. Oh yeah, Jesus is Lord. Oh yeah, Yahweh. But they don't think about any further than just that. The message translation really cuts through it and just gets right in there. And it says it this way. The ox knows who's boss. And the mule knows the hand that feeds him. But not Israel. My people don't know up from down. Wow. You know, when I read that, my heart broke because I knew it was true. I knew this was true. You know, the scriptures say that sometimes uh, that, that his people, his name is on their lips but far from their heart. And when I was reading this, I didn't think about all the people I know that fit that bill. What I thought about was the fact that I remember the old Allen. I remember it well. I never considered God. I went to church every week. But I never considered God. Matter of fact, I didn't even know that we should. I didn't think we could. How can we comprehend something like that? You know, I just, just never entered my mind. And you know what? My life was an example of one that didn't know, did not know God or didn't consider God. My life was an example of it. You could look at it and say, you know what? It's quite obvious he doesn't know God. But everybody I hung out with would never say that because their life looked the same as mine. I didn't know. I actually thought I knew something about God because, you know, I could tell you some of the Old Testament Saints, their exploits, what they did. And I could tell you the New Testament Bible stories, you know, and Peter walking on water and, and Jesus healing people and raising them for the dead. I could tell you those stories. And I actually knew quite a bit of those. Matter of fact, I worked on a job one time, and I, during that particular time, I was not living for God by any means. I was, well, to be quite honest with you, I was a drug dealer as well. And uh, there was a preacher that worked out there. Imagine that. I won't tell you the denomination, but it, anyway, he was a preacher and he was working on that job with me. And uh, we were in the same group every day. And uh, he'd get out there and he'd start talking about the things of God. And the sad thing is, is I knew more about the scripture than he did. Can you imagine that? 
And they all knew my lifestyle, yet I knew more of what it said than he did. And he probably went and had some great sermons about how this guy knew what the word said, but didn't live any of it. So, you know, we, it, it was, he probably used that a whole lot because he could. And he should have. You see, I, I didn't even have a clue of what the Bible really was saying. I knew history. I knew academically some things. That's why in Hosea 4, 6, it says, My people are destroyed for the lack of knowledge. That word destroyed doesn't mean annihilation or something like that. It means to be dumb or kept silent. And that's what I was. I was dumb about the things of God. And even after I started learning some things, because I didn't understand, it kept me silent from doing or moving on in that direction. Even the things I did know. You know, Paul said it this way in Romans 10, 1. It says, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. He was for Israel. He says, I want them to be saved. But listen to what he said. For I bear record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. They have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. You know, in church today, there's a lot of people that have a zeal for God, but it's not according to knowledge. And in the world, it's the same thing. It's like, oh yeah, I believe in the Lord. I believe in God. I believe in Jesus. They have a zeal when, you, when confronted, but they don't have one with knowledge of who he is and who they are. And this is the results of it. Verse 3, it says, For they being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness, having not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. Since they don't have the knowledge of who they are in Christ, they go about establishing their own righteousness. Can you see that? That's what I did. I didn't know God. And I remember very well comparing myself and the way I behaved and my actions and everything uh, as, well, you know, I, I'm, I'm not a bad person. Sure I was. I was. But even back then, I didn't think I was a bad person. I thought I was a pretty good person. I wasn't killing anybody. I didn't shoot anybody. So I just assumed, you know, and matter of fact, see, I knew people that had done other things that were a lot worse than me. So I compared my life based on what the surroundings was. You, you follow what I'm saying? But those people won't be there at Judgment Day. You know what I mean? It'll be me and God. And I never considered that part. Now, God doesn't want us to be ignorant of a lot of things. Matter of fact, he's against ignorance. He says, uh, Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 12, 1, he says, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I would not have you ignorant. What? Concerning the gifts of the Spirit, he says, I don't want you to be ignorant of that. I want you to understand all of them. I want you to know all nine of them. I want you to know how to operate in them. I want you to know how it works, how to do, how everything is to be done in the church house. I want you to know it. I don't want you to, to be ignorant of it. I don't want you to ignore the fact that there are spiritual gifts. And then he went on and said, well, matter of fact, I remember uh, some years ago, uh, we had a group come in that were Bible school students. And I was talking to them about the gifts of the Spirit. And I said, now, 
you people are going to be counselors, and when these kids get to the cabins here, I want you to be praying. Here's the list of each one of you's cabin assignments, how many kids are going to be there. I want you to be praying for these children. Start calling their name out before God. I said, and God will start revealing things to you about them. He'll start saying, now this one is coming from a broken home. This one needs this. This one needs a special touch. This one just needs your attention all the time because they never get any attention at home. This one needs to be lifted up. They've been called uh, bad names at school all day. I just, you just make a point of going your extra mile for them. That, and they looked at me like I was crazy. Now these are Bible college students who went to a spirit-filled, Bible-believing school. I mean, they were there hearing this every single day, yet they couldn't even name these nine gifts. And I looked at them and I thought, what have y'all been doing? What is this, a game? Why did you go to school if you're not going to know these things and do it? Do you know what? Well, you know, there's, there's a, and they would name off, they were trying to, re, to remember them. Now, my, this ought to be your life. This is who we are. You don't believe that you can pray and God will reveal to you things that's going to help someone? This is not playtime. This is real life. They, they, it just blew them away. These children's parents believed the way I believe. But they just went to Bible school, you know, and they didn't really believe it. You know, it's like, that's, that's mom and dad stuff. I thought, what are you people doing? You know what happened that summer? They began to believe. They began to see, oh, this is, and they got excited about it. Said, you know what? The Lord started showing me about this, and, and things started happening just like I told them it would. But see, they never tried. It was something academically they had heard that somebody else had done before. Well, this is where we live, folks. Parents, you need to be praying for your kids. God reveal things to you. Then he went on and said this in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, 11. It says, lest Satan take advantage of us, for we're not ignorant of his devices. We shouldn't be ignorant of the way the devil operates. Nor should we ignore the way he operates. We should be aware of his tactics and how he comes against families and strongholds. God doesn't want us to be ignorant. Does that make sense? He, being ignorant is a disaster. He wants us to be well informed. Matter of fact, there's a story in the Bible over in Luke's Gospel, chapter 13, starting in verse 10. It says this, And he, being Jesus, was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. Verse 11, And behold, there was a woman which had a spirit of infirmity 18 years and was bowed together and could in no wise lift up herself. Do y'all see that? And behold, there was a woman which had a spirit of infirmity 18 years and was bowed together and could in no wise lift up herself. Hmm. What was she doing at church? What was she doing at the synagogue? Well, if anybody had a reason to stay home, wouldn't it be her? I mean, the woman's sick. She's stomach's got to be hurt, being bent over 18 years, all the blood rushing to her head, probably in pain every time she turns around. What is she doing in church? 
I mean, if anybody had a reason to skip church, I believe this woman had one. Is there anybody in agreement? So what was she doing there? I can tell you what she wasn't doing there. Based on what happened here, it says here that she didn't cry out to Jesus, did she? He was teaching. She didn't cry out, Jesus, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. She didn't say nothing. She just there. She didn't come saying, if I could but just touch the hem of his garment, since I'm already bent over, it won't be real hard, I can be healed. She didn't, she didn't do that. So what was she doing there? Didn't say she was there receiving alms. So why was she at church? Why did she go down there? I don't know about you, but, you know, I'm kind of like that magazine there, inquiring minds want to know. I ask questions like that when I'm reading the scripture. What was this woman doing in church? I mean, I know people that miss church because they sneezed that morning. I know people that miss church for all kind of reasons. I thought that I might be sick. You thought it? You did you were thinking maybe dizziness, lightheaded, so you didn't bother to come to church. I mean, if you're looking for an excuse, you can find one, right? Here's a woman that had a real good reason. Nobody here, I don't believe anybody here would say, I just don't know what happened to so sister so-and-so. I mean, by goodness, she's been bent over 18 years. She ought to be used to it by now. I mean, we didn't, no, no, everybody today would be like, bless her darling heart, that's why we have church TV. Well, she can watch it online. Because we don't want anybody to be feeling bad. She can just kind of lay on her side at the house and watch it. So what was she doing there? Well, I've got news for you. I don't believe she came with an expectation. I think she came to church out of an obligation. Are you hearing me? Think about it. She was there, but what was her expectation? It wasn't to get healed because she didn't cry out to him. It wasn't because they had a guest minister. Matter of fact, he singled her out. Excuse me for preaching real good this morning, okay? I, was... I mean, the woman was bent over, hurt, sick. But sickness nor disease nor even a tormenting spirit that had her bound for 18 years could keep her out of the synagogue. But a lack of knowledge kept her from being healed. A lack of knowledge kept her from being healed. She came out of an obligation. I don't want to have nobody raise your hands, but how many times have you gone to church out of obligation? Instead of an expectation. I'm glad I didn't ask anybody raise their hands because I'd have had to do this myself. And I'm the preacher. I went because I had to preach. Somebody had to be there. I didn't much want to today. But let's face it. Sometimes you just have to say, no, boy, straighten up. You're going down there and you're going to go and you're going to get something today. What would happen in the church house if people started really started coming with an expectation that God was going to be there? He was going to show up. That Steve was going to be healed. 
Bob was going to get up and run. Things were just going to happen. There was a time that happened. People came to church with an expectation that God was going to be there. I think today people have gotten to where, well, you know, we're going to go because I need to be there. I'm, I'm on the usher list today. I need to be at church. I got to do children's church. We come out of obligation. What would happen in your life if you came with an expectation? Let me tell you what would happen. God would manifest himself. That's true. We sang the song, did we not? If you worship me, I will what? Manifest myself. If you'll call me, I'll manifest myself. If you'll seek me, I'll manifest myself. If you come with an expectation, he will manifest himself. If you get up in the morning and walk out on the porch and you start saying, Yahweh, bless your Lord. He will manifest himself because your expectation is he is there hearing you. Hello. Pastor, what's this got to do with covenant? It's got everything to do with covenant. And you'll see it as we continue to go. It says, and when Jesus saw her, he called her to him and said to her, Woman, thou art loose from thy infirmity. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight or healed and glorified God in front of everybody there. And don't tell how many people just came out of obligation, even this lady. But all of a sudden, there's a breakout in the house. They're glorifying God. They just saw something. And the audacity of the ruler of the synagogue. With indignation, verse 14 says, because that Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, said unto the people, there's six days men ought to work. <coughs> in them therefore come and be healed and not on the Sabbath day. We could have done this. In, if I'd have been Jesus, I'd have said, you fathead. She's been here 18 years. 18 years. You ain't never healed her, not once. You hadn't laid hands on her and now you are going to say this, that... But he did even better than that. He says, uh, look, you hypocrite. You took your ass and your, your cow down here to get water this morning, did you not, before you came? That was a lot more work than me laying hands on her and say, be healed. He shut him down quick. But this is what he said that we ought to really get a hold of here. And ought not this woman... Being a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan hath bound, load 18 years, be loosed from her bond on the Sabbath day. The expression there, being a daughter of Abraham. Being a daughter of Abraham comes with a covenant relationship. She had a right to be healed. She had a right to be delivered. She was in standing in, in a covenant of her forefathers, Abraham. That's what Jesus was saying. This woman had a right not to be sick and not to be bent over because of some devil. He called her a covenant woman. She had a right, but because of a lack of knowledge, because of ignorance, 
she was bound. Do you think if she came to church like that over 18 years, she might have heard some of these scriptures? I'm just going to read to you all Old Testament scriptures since this was before she was born. This is what the word says. So she'd be going to the synagogue. What is she hearing? She'd be hearing the scriptures being read, right? How about this one? Psalms 145, 14. The Lord upholdeth all that fall and raiseth up all those that be bowed down. Referring to this spirit of infirmity. 146, verse 8. The Lord opened the eyes of the blind. The Lord raiseth them up that are bowed down. The Lord loveth the righteous. Wow, that was the very things that she had happening in her life. And... She didn't know about it. She didn't know those scriptures or, well, that was back then, back in the day. That's not for me today. Maybe she heard this one coming from back in Moses' day. And he's in Exodus 23, 25. And you shall serve the Lord your God, and he shall bless thy bread and thy water, and I will take sickness away from the midst of thee. You think she might have ever heard that one? I think so. How about Deuteronomy 7, 12? It says, Wherefore it shall come to pass, if thou shalt hearken to these judgments, and keep and do them, and the Lord thy God shall keep unto, unto thee the covenant and the mercy which he swore unto thy fathers. And he will love thee, and bless thee, and multiply thee. And he will also bless the fruit of thy womb, and the fruit of thy land, and the corn, and thy wine, and thy oil, and the increase of thy kind, and the flocks of the sheep, in the land which the uh, swore to give to your fathers. And thou shalt be blessed above all people, there shall not be male nor female bearing from among your cattle. And the Lord will take away all sickness and put none of these diseases on you of Egypt, which thou knowest upon thee. But I will lay them upon those that hate you. Do you suppose she might have ever heard that and even questioned and wondered, well, then God, why am I bent over? I, am I not a covenant woman? Why is it? Or did she just like, yeah, that's, that's what it says. Yep, that, that's what it says. Psalms 103, verse 2. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Well, it's quite obvious she might have forgot some. Who forgiveth all thy iniquities and healeth all thy diseases. Who redeemed life from destruction, who crowneth thee with loving kindness and tender mercies. Who satisfieth thy mouth with good things, so that thy youth is renewed like the eagles. The woman's been bent over for 18 years. You reckon she might have ever heard that scripture? So she was hearing information. Maybe in Isaiah 53, 4, Surely it bore our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquity. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we were healed. I believe she heard these things all over these 18 years of having this spirit of infirmity upon her. If she would go to the synagogue when she felt like that, surely she went when she wasn't feeling that way. So all her life she'd been tormented. But she heard these things. So why wasn't she walking in it? Could it go back to that very first place where it says there and that we read about let me read it again to you the ox knoweth his owner and the ass his master's crib but Israel doth not know 
my people doth not consider. My people don't consider me. My people don't meditate on me. My people don't seek me. They don't look around. They're so busy and distracted with a lot of things, but they don't, they don't take note of who I am. They remember and hear what I've done. But it's far from them that I would do it for them. That's what was going on. She was uh, in a sad state. In the New Testament, we see that Jesus went around preaching and teaching and demonstrating the kingdom of God everywhere he went. And part of the kingdom of God is healing. That's why we read that everywhere he went, people were being made whole. Everyone they brought to him was healed. And sometimes those that didn't even cry out, he just called them out like he did this woman. He said, come on up here. I'm going to demonstrate to you the kingdom of God. Just come on up here. Paul said it this way. So then in, in 10, Romans 10, 17. So then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. We could say it this way. So faith cometh by hearing and considering the word of God. Faith comes by hearing and meditating on the word of God. See, merely hearing something does not make it a revelation to you. I call it listening. Oh, they listened, but they didn't hear. It says, faith comes by hearing and hearing and hearing and hearing by the word of God. In other words, you start meditating on what there's a word say about that particular thing. Could it, you begin to get an image inside of you of what your life would look like if you actually did what it said. If this woman got an image on the inside of her of being upright again, because that's what the Word said. But she began to start quoting what the Word said and said, you know, Lord, you said this. I'm a covenant person. She began to start straightening on up. Out of covenant. I just don't know about all that. Well, I hope before the day is over, this morning's over, you will. You will. You see, faith comes by hearing and hearing the Word of God. You need the Holy Spirit to, to have fellowship with you and start revealing to you why you're bent over. Revealing to you what caused this. Did you open a door or is it just an attack of the, a spirit of infirmity that's come upon you? You need to start finding out. Holy Spirit, show me, reveal to me what my life would look like. I remember, yeah, I wouldn't have to be this way anymore. I wouldn't have to do this. I wouldn't have to do that. I remember being free. I wasn't in bondage to this or that. You start meditating on that. Considering what did God say? Not what you feel like. Not what you look like. Not what other people are saying. But what did God say about it? And then consider that he's more faithful and true than what you hear and how you feel and what you see. That's true. 
that I choose to believe what God said over you. How many of you realize, has anybody ever had peer pressure before? How many of you know when you got saved it didn't go away? Huh? The night the Lord came in that room that night, he showed me on the ceiling like a movie some things about my life. He showed me the first three times where I did something stupid. Okay? Not the first, original, the first three different types of stupidness, okay? Because I had a lot of stupidness going on. And every one of them was because of other people. They didn't make me do it. But I was influenced to go that way so I could be accepted by them. That night, November 27, 1979, as I watched that, and God had given me basically, like, okay, here we go. I made up my mind. I really don't care what any of y'all think no more. You ain't keeping me from, from going to heaven. I'm not going to hell for none of you. I don't care if you like me, talk bad about me or what. I don't care. Because I ain't standing before you on judgment day. I won't give an account for my life to you. Why should I care what you think? People like you kept me from living what I was supposed to be. Hello? I'm not talking about you people right here, but you know what I'm talking about. So why should you care what Joe down the street thinks? But you know what? We have a tendency to want to slip back into that if we're not careful. Even church people. Well, I don't want sister so-and-so to know this or brother Bill to know that or what. I'm concerned what they might think. Who cares what they think? Because you get to care what they think, you, don't, you just put them in front of what God thinks. Are you hearing me? When you get to all shook up about what they think instead of what God said, well, you just made them God. Put no other gods before me, huh? Thank you very much. Now, as a believer... Remember being, I realized that I was dumb as dirt. I went to church and all them people in there and I'd never been to a church like that before. I mean, they raised their hands. They, they spoke in languages I'd never heard in my life. And none of them could sing worth a flip. They, they all singing in the spirit and I thought this is the worst sounding bunch I ever heard. I thought they were all singing in Latin like I did in Catholicism, you know. They would all sing a song in Latin. And I realized if that's what they're doing, they, they're all out of tune. They don't know what's going on. And I remember thinking very well. I realized that finally that that's not what they were doing. And I thought, I am having flashbacks from all that LSD I took. <laughs> and I remember grabbing hold of the pew in front of me, and I was squeezing it tight, real tight. I said, God, I've never had this happen before. I'm trying to do right. I'm in church, and you're letting this happen. I really thought that's what was happening that I was having a reaction to all the drugs I'd taken before. And here it is, now I'm sober for a week or two, you know. And now it's all going to happen. It didn't happen before. Now I'm going to start being flipped out. Remember getting in the car, because it all finally started to ease down. Well, they just quit singing is what it was. I, I didn't know. I thought, thank you, Lord. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Got in the car, Marsha said, well, what'd you think? It's all right. And she asked me about that. She says, 
So what do you think about everybody singing in the spirits? What are you talking about? She said, you know, when everybody was singing in the spirit. She knew this terminology. I hadn't. She'd been in church the last several months. And I'm like, what are you talking about? She said, when everybody was singing in the unknown tongue. And I remember stopping and looking and said, they were really doing that? We're not coming back here. I mean, I scared the fire out of me. I was more content with me having flashbacks than people really doing that. I could say, okay, I can understand. You know, I, would, I did all this to myself. They were really doing this? I was dumb. I had no idea. But these people were nice. And I'm like, these people knew something I didn't know. So I made up my mind. I'm going to start reading my Bible every day. I'm going to get in there and start in the New Testament. I'm going to read. Even if I don't know what it says, I'm going to keep reading. And I made my mind three chapters a day, and I did so faithfully. And I'm reading, and I didn't know nothing. I'm reading across through there, and I'm like, ah, I could have quit. I had many opportunities to quit. Did he feed them 5,000, or did he feed 4,000? How many, which one is true? Never dawned on me did it twice. I knew he had fed the multitudes. Remember I told you that he is a lost person. I said, oh yeah, he did this and he did that. I knew those things. And I'm like starting to read this. And I'm like, my God. And I started realizing there's a lot of stuff in here. And I didn't know. But I made up my mind. I'm going to keep reading. And I noticed some things in there. I started noticing that these people were doing some pretty wild things. That over in the Old Testament, especially. And I got to reading it, and I'm looking, oh, my goodness. He did that, huh? So what is it that they've got that I don't have? And I thought it was faith, which was true. So I got in there and started reading and studying, and I guess what I found out. I found out over in Romans chapter 12, it was back 1980. I'd been in church for just a little while. Me and Marcia decided we was going to take a weekend off. We were going to go kind of like a, a vacation type thing. We went up to Birmingham. Can you imagine that? Went 90 miles. But uh, that's still about 90 and further than I've been going. And so uh, I'm just not there. I, I have fun where I'm at. So anyway, we went up there to hear a preacher. That was our vacation. We're going to go up there and sit like a camp meeting and hear somebody preach all day. And afternoon and night. And we'll wait in line to get in to do so, so we can get up on the front row. Yeah. I mean, if I was going to be extreme for the devil taking drugs and stuff, can't I be extreme for God? Hello. I was a good sinner. I'm going to be good at this too. Man, we did. We got in there. And I remember what he preached and everything about it, really. Best I can. He preached on Romans 12, 1, 2, and 3. And I found out, my goodness, that I did have faith. God has given, according to Romans 12, 3, every man the measure of faith. I had it. I got the same amount everybody else got. I just hadn't developed it. I didn't even know what it was. I'm like, oh, okay. How I many of you know a lot of people have faith, but they don't know what to do with it? That was me. So here it is, I had faith. But I did realize something else that weekend. Paul said this 
in Romans 12, 1, says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto me, which is your reasonable service after all that I have done for you. Think about that. Then in verse 2, it says, And be not conformed to this world, be you transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may know the good and perfect and acceptable will of God. Well, there you go. Maybe that's why my faith's not doing anything because I hadn't renewed my mind to what God's word ever said to start with. I'm still trying to establish my own righteousness. Hello. So I very well couldn't have been doing what was good and perfect and acceptable in God's eyes because I didn't even know what it was. I thought, wow, wake up, cowboy. I'm dumb as dirt. I've got to really get in here and get going with it. That's why I love that song so much that we just sang at the end. Starts calling out the names of God. How many of you realize the names of God is a, is a, is a, a revealing of his character? It's who he is. I remember Marilyn Hickey in 1981 in my Bible school course there teaching on the names of God. And if you're going to have anybody teach the names of God, Marilyn Hickey was good. And boy, she went over the names of God, revealing to us the word Jehovah means revealing one. I want a God that reveals things to me. Jireh, my provider. Rafa, my healer. Hello, El Shaddai, God Almighty. Elohim, the, the three personalities, God, Father, Son, Holy Ghost, the creator. I started, I want to know this God in those ways. I didn't want to just know about God. I wasn't happy with just knowing about him. I knew about Mark Twain. Didn't do me any good. I want to know this God that came in my room that night that loved me that much. This was real. So I made a decision I'm going to do that. Well, guess what I found out even after I found this to be true? I didn't know God. So that's why I started going to Bible school. I wanted to know more about this, the names of God, and who he is. And it got me over to covenant, which is the topic of today, which I don't have much time, but we're going to have to do it all paraphrasing now. You just have to read it when you get home. I can tell you all about covenants, okay? Problem is, is it ain't going to do you any good if you just hear it. Won't do you any better than that woman there was been over for 18 years hearing it. If you don't take it and consider it, <coughs> if you don't take it and meditate on it, just be words. Hebrews uh, chapter 2, verse 1. Would you pull that up? I won't even have to look it up. I'll let him pull it up. She can pull it up. Hebrews 2, 1. See, this is where a lot of us live. We heard the word of God. We even know what it says. And then it says, therefore, we ought to give more earnest heed to the things which we've heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. That word slip is like holding water in your hand and it just, as much as you got it cupped, it still seeps through your hands. You know what I'm talking about? And he says, therefore, we ought to give more earnest heed. We ought to pay close attention to what we've heard about God. Lest at any time it just starts slipping away from us. How many of you know that we've heard about covenant? Yet it slips away. So let's look at some more of the examples. 
You see, I, I'm, I'm reading through there and I'm finding these people like David. I'm like, my goodness. What man had, he was wild. Young David, going to kill a giant. Goes out there, right there in 1 Samuel 17. Tells the story that the armies of the Philistines, he got up on one side of the mountainside and they're here and there's a valley here and the armies of Israel's on the other side over here. They're all rising up here and Goliath comes out every single morning and defies the army of God. He stands up there and says, hey, send me somebody out here to fight. Send me somebody out here. There's no sense in us keep doing this. Just send somebody out here and if they can kill me, we'll serve you. And if we kill, I kill them, then y'all serve me. Ain't no reason for everybody dying. They did this every morning and every evening. Twice a day. Two times a day. First thing in the morning, they're out there and he's defying the armies of God. Now here's the crazy thing. When David gets there, this is what Israel does. They get over there. They rise up. They do a war cry. Woo! They all run up there. We're the army of God. And then Fathead walks out over here, Goliath. He said, y'all come on. Bring me somebody out here to fight. And they all back down. They cowered away. Twice a day. Forty Days this has gone on. And Jesse says, Come here, David. Go up there and check on your brother, see how the war is going. I can't pick up CNN for nothing. So he gets this, he said, Take these cheeses and this bread up here and, and wine, take it up there to the captain of the host and all that. And so David started toting the cheese, going up there to see the battle. So he would get a report to come back to tell daddy. So he's, he goes up there and he does this, right? And he gets up there, and here's Goliath up there doing his thing, defying the armies of the living God. That's what he said. So what happens next? David says, what, what's going on? What's this guy doing? What, what did he just say? He said, have you seen him? This guy's 10 foot tall. He's covered from head to toe with armor. He has his shield so big that another guy just has to carry his shield for him. He's got a beam that's longer than, than, you know, whatever, a weaver's beam. He's got a, a, a spear and a big old head on the end of it. He has been a warrior since his youth. He is a champion. And David looks at him and says, well, what's going on? Well, I'll tell you what, it's so bad that the king has said that whoever goes out and fights the guy and kills him, he'll let his, he can have his, his daughter they won't have to pay any taxes. And he'll be, you know, and, and he's like, say that again? He didn't want to know how big the guy was. He didn't say, is he a giant? He never called him a giant. He never called him a champion. He never called him a warrior from his youth. What David called him, he says, who is this uncircumcised Philistine? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine? In other words, he said this, who is this man without a covenant? Who is the guy without the covenant? He ain't got a covenant, I got a covenant. Now here's the, here's the thing now, 
Do you suppose David was the only guy in the army of God, all the armies of God out there? He's the only fella out of all these people that's ever been to synagogue. Does nobody there ever heard covenant but David? He was the only one. Or did his own three brothers raised in his house, did they ever hear about covenant? They were there and they didn't do nothing. They were cowering in a way like everybody else was. What was it about David that caused him to step out there and declare, I'll go fight him. I'll take him on. And King Saul's like, you can't do this. You, you just a little, you can't do that. Matter of fact, even Goliath called him, you little red-headed pretty boy. Who do you think you are going to come out here against me? You ain't nothing but a dog. You send a dog out here, he says, I'll tell you something. I'm going to take your head off today. I'm going to kill you. How dare you defy the armies of the living God? He was going on covenant. He even told Saul, he says, hey, look, I've already killed a lion and a bear. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine to me? In other words, he's saying, I killed a lion out of covenant. I killed a bear out of covenant. He says, when the, the lion came and took one of my daddy's flock and was running off with it, I chased him down. I don't know about, I might chase a dog down. I got faith for that, but I ain't chasing no lion down. I wouldn't even chase a lion cub down because mama's around somewhere. And it says that the lion rose up against him. In other words, turned to kill him. And he just snatched it by the beard and killed it. It's a man who knows a covenant right there. He knew something I don't know. He knows can't nothing hurt me. My God is with me. I'm defending what's mine based on covenant. God gave me that flock and ain't no devil in hell, ain't no lion going to get it, ain't no bear going to get it, and ain't no giant going to stand there and do this. I'll take your head off. I read stuff like, I'm like, I want that. God said, you'll have, to, you'll have to learn covenant. You'll have to know covenant like he knew covenant. Not hear about covenant. You'll have to know covenant like he knew covenant if that's what you're going to do. You know what else David knew? He says, he, what was he going to do out there? He's laying up there watching dumb sheep, right? Out there with him at night. What was he thinking? He didn't have a cell phone to kind of watch the Arkansas game. What did he do? He considered God. He considered the covenant. He considered him that made him. He considered what he had to say. He considered and meditated upon the Bible and what it meant, what it was doing, and all of the things that he had been hearing and learning. And he didn't have nobody else to talk to. Why not talk to God? He was preparing himself to be a king. Didn't even know it. God had him in the perfect spot. And he was out there and he was soaking it all in. And you know what he probably heard about? Thought about that this morning. I bet he, while he was out there, meditated on the fact that there was other people that had killed giants before him. Hello? He probably thought, no, I remember 
hearing back about Joshua and Caleb and the spies when they went in and spied the land and there were giants in the land. And he probably remembered everybody hearing that story. And then guess what? He remembered that there was two guys at 80 years old went up and took giants. Mr. Horn, going killing giants. If I was an 18-year-old strapping buck, I'd think if an 80-year-old can take them, I can take them. He didn't see anything different between him and Joshua and Caleb. He knew covenant. He knew covenant. Are you hearing me? He didn't just learn about covenant. Because see, you could have took all the armies of Israel and sat them down and said, all right, we're going to take a test. I want y'all to write all this down. Write it. I don't know. No, no true and false answers. No multiple choice. It's going to be essay. I want you to tell me what is the covenant of Abraham and what is the covenant of Moses. I want y'all to write it right now. And they could have all gave the right answers. Yeah, that's what they did. Why weren't they doing what David was doing? Because they never considered the covenant. They just learned about it. All academic. Yeah, that's what it says. That's what the Bible says. Well, you see, that's where it gets over about being a doer of the word and not a hearer only. Are you hearing me? You know, if we're going to do this, let's do it. Let's kill some giants. Anybody here got giants in your... In your, that you have to face with? Why, sure. Some of it could be pride. Some of it could be fear. Some of it could be sickness in your body. you got giants. Hey, let's kill some of them. you got a covenant. And what does this covenant mean? It means this. You know, when you get into the covenant, if you go to Abraham and you start studying his life from chapter 13 through 22, you'll begin to see that God struck a progressive covenant with Abraham. This is where we're supposed to be teaching today. I'm getting off camera here so Peter can't see me. But God gave Abraham a progressive covenant. And in that covenant, chapter 15, we find out that Abraham left his home, left his people, left his culture, left all that he knew to go to a place he did not know. Sounds like salvation to me. Huh? And so here he goes out. Goes to Haran, where his, his father ends up dying. He's got Lot with him. They end up going down to Egypt. Stays there a few years. And after eight years, he finds himself with so much stuff. Lot's got so much, they ended up dividing, separating and everything because they had so much going on. Lot goes and he's down in Sodom and Gomorrah area. And, and Abraham left and he was kind of depressed a little bit. The Bible says that he was looking down and because and God said, Abraham, look up from where you are. Quit looking at where you are and look to the north, to the south, the east, and the west. He said, I'm going to make you that, like I promised you earlier, that you're going to be a, a father of many. That you can't even count all of them. You're going to be as much as the sand is on the, on the, on the uh, seashore. He didn't even have a child. God's making a covenant with him, giving him his word. A couple chapters later, guess what happens? Chapter 15, he says, 
Abraham says, how am I going to know what you just said is true? And he said, I'm going to do something with you. I'm going to do with you what you already experienced and know about. I'm going to do a blood covenant with you, Abraham. Abraham will do a blood covenant because he'd already made a blood covenant with some other guys in that area. Because when it talked about Abraham going and capturing Lot back and two other tribes or groups or clans, whatever you want to call them, came with him, it said that he was confederate with them, which means he made a covenant with them. See, covenant was not something new. Covenant was going on all along. But now God says, I'm going to make a covenant with you. And there's a thing about a covenant. Because chapter 15, he told him to take the, the animals, the heifers, and cut them in long ways and separate them. And, and had, you know, so he had cows end to end and, and, and rams and so forth. Two walkway, about you know, however long they were, had two walkways. And it, all the blood drained into the middle and they took their sandals off and they would walk in it to the other side, one end down to the other guy and says, and he was saying, no longer am I this guy. From now on, you and me are one. Everything you have is mine. Everything I have is yours. They made a covenant, an oath, blood brothers. And if you dare break what I'm saying to you, you're going to end up just like these animals here, cut in half. That's pretty much what was going on. Then the guy would end up making it back to his side, and the other guy would do the same. God did this with Abraham. Said that he came down and it was uh, a smoking furnace and a, and a light and walked down through it. Abraham was falling asleep, basically. He was so tired. And there's a lot you could read and get into about how Abraham protected the, the, the livestock that was killed. He was protecting his covenant from wild animals and, and, and ravens and all kinds of stuff coming down on it. And he watched. And God made this covenant with him. Some years later, guess what happened? He still didn't have kids. Matter of fact, he ended up having Ishmael, which was uh, not the one he was supposed to have because he listened to his wife when he shouldn't have. And uh, that was not a good move. And so he ends up now having the promised seed, Isaac. God tells him in chapter 17, says, next time this year, Sarah's going to have the baby. He says, now here's something else we're going to do. Uh, we're going to continue with this blood covenant. He said, the, uh, from now on, your name's not going to be Abram. It's going to be Abraham from now on. Now, I know you don't have any children, but from now on, everybody's going to start calling you father of many nations. Now, I know you're 99 years old and your body's well past childbearing age and all that stuff, but that's what you're going to be from now on. You tell all your servants, all the people you meet, that you're the father of many nations. And it don't matter how stupid they think you are, because you ain't even got a kid. But you're going to tell them that. He said, and, and also, he said, Sarah, Sarah is not going to be Sarah anymore. It's going to be Sarah. Changed her name, too. You see, there was an exchange of names took on the ham part of God's name. He said, and there's one more thing. Y'all going to circumcise yourselves, all the men of eight days in order, it been brought into your house, born into your house, all of them, is this what's going to happen? Now, I can imagine that afternoon, after God talked with him, he got all the guys together and says, guys, y'all don't call me Abraham anymore. From now on, it's Abraham. You're going to call me the father of many nations. 
I know I don't have any children, and you may not like it, but you're going to do it anyway. I'm the boss. And if you don't like this, you're surely not liking what I'm going to tell you next. <laughs> this afternoon, I want you to all get you a sharp knife and meet me at the river. And they did it. There was a cutting of blood on his part this time. Blood covenant. It's a token, like on a wedding, you have a ring. It's a token. And the circumcision was a token of the covenant. David knew something about covenant. Abraham, he knew the covenant of Abraham. He knew the covenant of Moses. You know who did not know the covenant and understand covenant? Saul's grandson. Saul had a son named Jonathan. Jonathan recognized this covenant that, that David had. He knew it. And he says, I'm making covenant with you, David. And he made a covenant. He said, now he's the next in line for the king. He took his coat off and says, David, this royal coat of mine, I'm going to be king. I'm putting it on you. Here's my bow, here's my girdle, here's all my clothing. I am now outfitting you because I recognize you as the next king. You and I are one. You're one with me. They weren't same age. Jonathan was probably 20 years older than David. And guess what happened? Philistines came again. And they came down upon John, uh, Saul and the armies. And David was in running from Saul at that time because he's trying to kill him. And Jonathan and them all died. And the word came back to the palace that the Philistines were coming. Saul's dead. Uh, Jonathan's died. They're coming after him. And the maid ran in and grabbed up the little five-year-old grandson named Mephibosheth and started running and tripped and fell broke the baby's legs. The child couldn't move anymore. You know, just, it was paralyzed. There came a day where Jonathan, I mean, David was king, things would calm down and all, and he looked and he saw the scar on his hand that he had made with Jonathan. He said, I remember that covenant. I love Jonathan. We made a covenant. And here's the thing about covenant. It goes to every generation. It doesn't stop when the guy dies. It continues to go. That's why we're of the seed of Abraham. If you've been in Christ, you're of the seed of Abraham. Heirs to the covenant. Lord. We're covenant people. Heirs. If you don't know it, you need to get to knowing it. He looked down and he saw that. He says, ah, man, is there anybody left of the house of Jonathan? I can show kindness to. Actually said Hasid, which means the, it's the closest thing to the agape kind of love, God's kind of love. Is there anybody left in the house of Saul that I can do that? Has Jonathan got any kids? And he inquired and, and found out that there was one. And he was lame. And he was in the poor side of town called Lodabar, hiding all his life from David because he was told since he was five, if David ever finds out that you're alive, he will kill you because you are a threat 
because you're next in line for the Saul's place in the king. It's all he ever heard his whole life. He told him, he says, go get him, bring him here. Here it is, he can't move, can't walk. He probably just drags himself around when he can or people pick him up and carry him. This is the kind of life he's had now all these years. Broke, dirty, just the lowest of all. At least the family took him in and was helped taking care of him. Probably just felt sorry for him. David calls and gets him and says, bring him here. Brings him here. He said, so uh, you're Jonathan's boy, huh? Yeah, I'm just a dirty, no good dog. Thinking he's fixing to end up killing him, take his head off. He said, let me tell you something. Today, Mephibosheth, because of the love that I had for your daddy, because of the covenant that we cut that goes to all generations, because of the, when I told him everything I had was his and everything he had was mine, when I said all that, this is how David knew covenant. He said, I want to know, is there anybody left? He said, and because you're left, he said, I'm restoring to you all that was your grandpa saw. All his land, all the money he had, all the cattle he had, all the servants that he had, everything's going back to you. And the people that's taking you in are going to serve you, him and all of his family, and you're going to take care of all of this stuff. But you, you're going to sit at my table like you're my boy from now on. You'll never eat anywhere else but my table. David, he knew covenant. You know who else knows covenant? Our Heavenly Father. Jesus knew covenant. We need to understand, he knew his covenant went beyond Jonathan. God knows it too. It's about time the church realizes what our covenant is. All that God has is at our disposal when we have need of it. And all that we have as is, is at his disposal also. It ain't a one-sided show. It don't matter how big my checkbook is, it's all his. It don't matter how big his checkbook is, it's all mine. Are you hearing me? This is covenant. I've gone way past time. We're five minutes. Baptists are already at the restaurant anyway. <laughs> so, I would spend approximately nine weeks teaching covenant to the furthest degree. And I sought the Lord about this, and he says, you can't do it all in a week. He said, and some of them wouldn't come next week. They'd be out of town or whatever, and then they'd miss it or whatever. They need to learn covenant. But you, Revealed to them, this is not just a subject to be taught. This is a lifestyle to be walked. It's an everyday thing. It's a know who you are in Him. And if you do, it will no longer be an obligation to serve God. It's an expectation. Every day is an expectation. What is God going to do today? 
And if you ever start finding your life like, I just feel like I gotta go do this. I gotta go to church. I gotta go take care of this. I gotta go help out with the Easter egg hunt. I gotta go do work out the church. No, 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 that's obligation. You get to do do. You don't know what might happen on the way down there. Stop, got gas, end up getting somebody saved in the parking lot. Healed in the parking lot. Stop to get donuts. I think I'll just get some donuts take up there. End up getting blessed or ministered to right there. Every day is an expectation because you walk in covenant. Healed from the top of your head to the soles of your feet. Blessed coming, blessed going. This is covenant talk. You want to find out about the covenant? Go read Deuteronomy 28. All those blessings in front that God said he was going to do the last two-thirds of the Chapter 28 is the curses if you don't. It's covenant. Know your covenant. Live covenant. Things started changing in my life when I realized, you know what? Things are not going to get any different. I'm always going to read about David and all these other people. Never going to happen in my life until I know covenant with God. We sang that song. Think about it. When I worship him, he manifests. When I call upon him, he manifests. When I seek God, he manifests. Why? Because he's my God. He ain't hiding from me. But if I'm just doing something out of obligation, he'll be there and I won't even know it. Every head bowed and eye closed, nobody looking around. This morning you might be here. You say, Pastor, I've known about covenant. And I've done the very thing that Hebrews 2.1 says. I've let it slip away from my life. I've let it slip. You stirred up something this morning in me. Then I need to get back on my covenant. It's mine. Jesus spilled his blood for my covenant. And all that goes with it. If you're here this morning and you've never learned covenant, you just, it's been a term you've heard, you, you have a definition of it by it being a cutting, but you don't have a revelation of it, and you want that, then slip up your hand this morning. I want to pray for you. Lord sees that hand, that hand, that hand, that hand, that hand, that hand, that hand. Hands going up everywhere. Hand over there. Then I want to pray for you. Let's just go ahead and pray for that right now. Lord, I just lift up these people that raise their hands. They want to know you in a covenant way. Lord, I know that you're not hiding from them, that you desire to reveal yourself to them and who you are. And your covenant reveals how you love us, how you take care of us, how you provide. Even the ox knows it and the the ass know it. Lord, these ones that raise their hands, they want to know it as well, that you take care of them, that you're there all in all. Lord, I thank you that you'll not hold it from them, withhold anything. But as they seek you, Lord, you will show and reveal yourself to them. Lord, I thank you that they'll seek you out by, uh, by asking me or whatever. Where else could they study on this particular subject? So that they can begin to understand that they're not just wanting to hear about somebody else's exploits. They want to have those that you have designed and called them to live here on this earth and be able to do it. Lord, I thank you for that. You may be here this morning and say, you know, I've known about this and I just, 
I don't have an answer. It's just I don't walk in it like I, did, I, I once knew. I had a revelation, but I'm not doing it. I want to pray for you. You don't even have to raise your hand. I'm just going to pray for you because I think all of us at one time or another have allowed this to slip away from us. Lord, I thank you right now for your covenant. Lord, I thank you that, that we're crying out as those did in the days that you were living here, walking among us. We cried out to you as our healer, our deliverer. But there's been times, Lord, in our life where we were like this woman with the, the spirit of infirmity, bent over, beat up, beat down doing things out of obligation instead of an expectation. And because of that, Lord, nothing changed in our life. Well, today, Lord, we don't want to live by an obligation any longer. We want to live with an expectation. So, Lord, we're asking you to renew in us that desire. We, we're, we're, we want to stir us up, Lord, that we rise up in the morning and and we don't look and say, oh, I got to. But we get up saying, I get to. I get to. I get to serve God all day long. I get to go do these things. Lord, that there's a change. There's a change. And Lord, I thank you that you reveal yourself to us as Jireh and Rapha and Shaddai. And all the names that you have used in the covenant, Lord, that's available to us. I thank you, Lord that we become children that know it. That we come to church next Sunday with an expectation of a manifestation of your presence in our midst. Not just coming out of obligation, but coming with an expectation. Lord, let that word ring in their ears all day today. First thing in the morning, expectation. They hear the word expectation. They hear the word expectation. That they are tired of living out of an obligation. Lord, I thank you in doing so that they'll be able to come an awakening within their spirit. An awakening of your presence in their life. And Lord, we give you all the honor and glory. <coughs> thank you for this day. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Have a great week.